Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC, featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. I'm pretty sure, did one guy tell me today, you... Am I misreading this? Did one guy want me to lodge my head up the backside of a cow today? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that did. Hey, Zo, good morning, by the way. Wow. I think that happens. So off to a good start today on the old text line? T-Bone needs to put his head up the backside of a cow. Or I don't know what I that was. I didn't know what was going on with that. What's the inspiration Shit. behind that? Zim, Jim, Zim Jokey. You went Zim on me. Zim Jokey. Jim. That would be a cool name, though. Can you joke? No. T-Bone did it like a year ago. It became like Jim, Jim Jokey. I think Zim Jokey should be the voice of ECU. Football. That's right. Hey, That's your alter ego on that'll, Saturdays. That'll be my AI. <laughs> All right, Jim ah. Zoki is here, Panthers Radio Network, fresh out of calling the game. I mean, yeah, I guess fans aren't as mad because we saw something. We saw something from the offense. I'm in more arguments than usual on Monday, though. Usually on Mondays, I'm as, I'm angry and so are the texters. But today, I honestly really liked what I saw from Bryce in that first half. And I've liked a lot of things that Bryce has done the last three three games. And I think if his supporting cast gets improved anywhere near to us, and there's a lot of work to do, I think he's going to be a damn good quarterback in, in this league. What do you think about about the way Bryce played, especially in the first half? No, what you just said exactly is the, the kind of things we were saying yesterday, especially when you see the game in person, you see the, the all 22 out there. Of course, we had a distant angle so we could see all of the field and, <laughs> and all the little players moving around in the distance out there. And that uh, that those first couple of series, I mean, the anticipation on the throws. Um, thank God for Adam Thielen <laughs> because he's getting open is why he's getting the ball. I mean, it's, it's, it's that simple. He, he really is uh, such a great route runner. So he was getting open, but you see Bryce throwing him open. Again, he missed some. He missed DJ Chark on that go route. That could have been a touchdown, obviously. But yeah, there he's, some, missed, he's missed a bunch of deep balls this year. Yeah, but overall, I thought, you're, to your point, five games into his career, um, he's playing as I would hope and think that he would realistically. And then factor in, yeah, what if he had – what two has got around him. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, he got hit one time in the entire game. So imagine that kind of pass protection exactly. for Bryce if he had time to process and look over things for a little bit longer. If he had more speed options uh, that were reliable in the pass receiving game that would catch the ball. I mean, Terrace Marshall gets the ball thrown down finally and he just like plumbers it. That would have been a first down. Oh, that down. was so brutal. And it was such Seriously. an easy catch and throw. He wasn't even being covered in that I say, moment. I say Coach Reich forgets about him next time we play. You know what I mean? Just, oh, you're over there? <laughs> That's the last week. Oh, no, you, you, but know, you could, yeah, I forgot you were over there. I needed someone to drop a pass for us on third and 10. Yeah, so you can just, to me, it's like, I looked at that game, I go, Bryce is not the problem. I think we've Far all been kind of it. saying that. I think he's right on track uh, for what you want. Again, not where he needs to be uh, as far as the, the finished product, but uh, as far as, again, to this point of the season in his rookie year, I, I think he's, he's he's doing well. And I think it's just a matter, too, of they got a little more innovative in the play calling in this game. I like going for you know the fake punt, things I like, like that. that. Too. Yeah, being more, more aggressive. I think as they get deeper into the season, we'll see more layers of that offense being put out there where they, they trust the, the offensive unit to do that. I think getting Austin Corbett back will be huge. I know we all keep saying that, but it's like, I think that's such a big cog in the offensive line that can only make this team better offensively going through. That's the voice of Jim Zoki. There you go. That's it. That's what I was trying for. You have to you have to slow down the pace a little it's bit. Not a, it's, I mean, it's, it's only eight total letters when you put it all together. It's yeah. not like Tomanga Bianca Bachuca or something. We've only known you for a decade plus here as, as friends in the building. That's right. Are you surprised that Bryce 
feels the pressure as much as he does because one of the things that Bama was his ability to almost Mahomes his way out of situations and keep plays alive. Are you surprised that that's there? Or do you think that that's just part of being a rookie and eventually he'll figure it out more? I think, you know, to me, I think he's handling it all, all very well. And I think he, um, he's just kind of a cool character. Every time he does a post game interview, it's like, I almost want him to be madder, like almost like have more I- intensity. Yeah. And, and I just think at this point, he's just not probably to that point uh, where he's outwardly doing that. He's just been such a good teammate. And that, you know, thing where he stands at the tunnel and greets every teammate going into the locker room at halftime and those kind of things are, are great. But uh, I know he doesn't take losing easily. And I think you heard it in Frank Reich's voice a little bit more each week where I think at first it was more from Coach Reich was more along the lines of like, you know, we're 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 going to learn. We're going to get better. I feel like now Frank's like, if you bring up, hey, you're up 14 nothing, he's like, yeah, but we lost the game. So I think it's it's starting to settle in with everybody like we have to start winning games, whether it's 6-3 to three or whatever. You know, this team just needs to get some victories and hopefully out of the bye week, schedule loosens up a little bit, lightens up a little bit, so hopefully there's some, some wins right on the other side hey, don't of this bye a, week. Don't knock a 6-3 to three. Three games, Zoki. More on ECU and the 49ers. A game what's you will what's call the over under? Is it nine? <laughs> nine and a half. Do you think they can buy for double digits? Uh, Jim Zoki is with us. Panthers Radio Network. View from the booth every Monday. Um, all right, let's talk about the defense, though, Zoki, because mm-hmm. I, I really liked what I saw from the offense when they can run it. I want more Chuba. I, I really do. Um, and I want more, you know, uh, aggression, like you said, like Frank Reich showed. But the defense, holy crap. This team has given up 42 points two straight weeks. They have given up 36 points a game for the last four. They're really banged up. But at the very least, we are seeing a team whose depth is is really bad on defense. Like, what, what's going on on defense? Well, you said it. I mean, first, you, the obvious, you start with the secondary. You're down three of your four starters from the start of the year. And the one that's playing was uh, coming off a week where he didn't play against Detroit. And so outside of Dante Jackson, I mean, you had Farley, who was you know from Charlotte, Charlotte Christian kid, but just called up from the practice squad. And I say kid, 31-year-old veteran, but he hasn't been here but a week. And then obviously Sam Franklin, who's one of your core special teams guy, not just playing safety, starting at safety and, and, you know, holding up reasonably well. But I mean, at some point against that offense, which is historically great through the first six games of the season, uh, that's not the matchup that they're ready for right now. And so they didn't get any prevention. They had one hit on Tua. The lack of pressure. Sucked, I know man, that the, the, that's how Miami does. I mean, the ball comes out quick. So obviously you expect there's going to be very few opportunities for Brian Burns and guys to even get a hand on him. But at some point you do have to, you do have to. And that's how, you know, the one loss they've had Miami was Buffalo. And it was because they were able to get some pressure, whether it's up the middle, just being in the face and uh, redirecting passes from Tua. That's what you have to do against those really quick, like back in the day, Drew Brees kind of things you can make their day rough out there just because the ball comes out quick doesn't mean that they should be able to complete every pass. It means they should be like kept in front of you then. It's a short gain. If it's coming out quick, it's not a long developing route. I'm telling you, when you see it in person, even more than on TV, and you see him throwing that ball and spinning that ball downfield, and Tyree Kill's not even in your frame of vision at this stadium, and you see him go and get that ball, I mean, to his anticipation of where to lead somebody of that speed is something that's next level. I mean, his, it's really it's really something to see. His speed looks jarring. Frank Reich talked about it. It must have really in person. Like, it's it's another gear that I don't think another human that's ever put on Dante a helmet Dante Jackson has. look like a defensive tackle. I mean, I mean Dante's... <laughs> he he, he cramped, Dante's he cramped be, after that. He, Dante, yeah. he ran so much, he cramped. <laughs> Dante... Um, 
along with DJ Chark, are probably the two fastest Panthers on the entire roster there. And Dante was barely in the frame. Didn't stand a chance. With Tyree Kill, By but the way, I don't know if it was the defensive design or if Farley was asleep. Uh, there needs to be some freaking help over there. Mm -hmm. uh, what are we doing with Dante and press coverage and a safety? That's somebody's fault. Well, your hope, you know, that's that's the that's the thing about Miami, which is so difficult. Like they have the speed, so if you lay back, they're going to get a lot of the underneath and maybe catch and go with the ball and make a, a big yak afterwards. Uh, but yeah, the the risk you were uh, press corner like that is if you don't get him at the line and he's so shifty that he can get around your press, then he's gone. And like they said, you have to have safety help at that point coming over. But it's everyone's facing that. They're scoring 36 points per game. They actually were held below their yardage. Their yardage is 513 was their average going. It was 424 in this game. So nobody's like going, yeah. You, there we go, baby. No one's saying good go. job. But I mean, this, this is what Miami's <laughs> – I'm saying my point. This is Miami. Yeah. This is what they is. do to everybody. I thought they'd lose 38-20, and it was pretty close to that. I, I had forty five seventeen. I did not think so. Wow. They they outplayed your performance. They did, yeah. yeah. I thought it might be uglier from the start. I I didn't intend, I thought we might get some points late. Yeah, I didn't see but. that that first quarter, and that's all I'm saying is to play like that against a team that good for a quarter. I know it sounds dorky, but and sad. But, like, there's something like that. I'm sorry. I'm going to take that. I know it's pathetic, but I'm, I'm going it, to feel it was by far good about that. It was that. by far their best quarter of football for yeah. what it is. And so you I think, thought the half on the whole was good. Like, we should have been down 21-17. Right. If Hayden Hurst makes that block on that uh, fake punt, it might even be closer than that. That might have resulted in points. Like, we actually moved the ball. I think it was five of our first eight drives we were in Miami territory. Mm-hmm. And those last, but those last three, we didn't get anything out of. Yeah, you know? and we missed the field goal. Yeah, which is a forty-three yarder. You, you expect to make that one, obviously. Jim, one of the great wrestling tag teams of the eighties into the nineties was the Road Warriors. Road Warrior Animal, Road Warrior Hawk. Do you think that Road Warrior Johnny, meaning Johnny Hecker, <laughs> could be part of that? Where does that rank among the most vicious things you've ever seen in your football broadcasting life? We haven't what, what, what a vicious headbutt. We have not seen a punter with that kind of swag since the days of Todd Sauerbrunn <laughs> with his barbed wire arm tattoo coming out there. But it was funny because, obviously, I don't know what was said. Maybe it was reported afterwards, but uh, Johnny was being goaded into uh, getting into that penalty, as it turned out. But he kept kind of Going after the guy, going after the guy on the he field. Did, he and then he does like the lightest head bump you can do <laughs> and sends him flying. This linebacker, this linebacker is flying backwards and they actually threw the penalty. The flag. referee goes down like it was the referee, wrestling. I think yeah. that's why the flag went out was that the referee was upset that he got taken out in that whole melee. At first, I thought it might be Jansen involved because it just cut to a guy headbutt. Oh my God, did JJ just headbutt a guy on the sidelines? That was all Johnny. I that was hoping that was him. That was all our badass punter. I like to see that attitude though. Don't, yeah, yeah. don't take that. <laughs> Do you it didn't change the outcome of the game. I'll put it that way. That <laughs> was, was it a 21 point play there? Um, uh, <laughs> I, I wondered the same thing. If the Ref just watches that ridiculous acting by that Miami linebacker. Mm -hmm. I think it's very possible he's like, dude, get up. What was that? But the fact that he got caught in that <laughs> and went down on his took is that probably pushed him to make the penalty call. It's amazing to see how unathletic officials actually are in moments like that. Like even him going down was like this awkward slow motion. <laughs> And then he's like trying to throw the penalty from his knees. He threw the penalty flag up like, ah, I can't even stand up and throw the penalty flag. I'll, I'll get up in a minute. Hey, what did you what did you guys talk about this in the booth at all on the broadcast? Did, you, did anyone notice what was Frank mad about after the, you know, the review that took forever on the fake punt mm -hmm. and the spot and everything? And then we, we came up inches short. Mm -hmm. What was Frank mad about? 
Was it something with the way they where they positioned the chains or something? Could you tell? Could you guys? They tell did have no? to remeasure the chain. So like there was a spot of the ball, and then they, as you saw, they did another measurement, yeah. and it became closer to a first down, but still not enough for a first down. So I I don't know if he was thinking they had enough for the first down. I thought when I saw it, and then I saw the replay. Where uh, Lavisca stepped out, it looked clear. Like then he lunges yeah, forward. Yeah, so I, I didn't. I actually thought they kind of marked it closer than I know. I, I didn't would think have. it was going to be that close. And I want us to get the first down. <laughs> so, <laughs> Me too. And, and, when J and Jake was there. We're all saying the same way. Like you, you go to break and you go. We're gonna have a review. And then they reviewed it again. And we're saying, I, I mean, we want us to guess. None of us in the booth thought there was enough for the first down. I, I have to be honest. And then Mike McDaniel was out there and he was pointing and yelling. So everyone so was pointing. Nobody and maybe, was happy. Maybe with it's that. just everyone was reacting like, oh, you're pointing and yelling. I'm gonna point and yell. JJ. <laughs> J.J. <laughs> Jansen was yelling at one point. And he was. Yeah, yeah. he was. J.J. was right in the middle of all that, too, because he's... <laughs> That's got to be a referee, a referee's nightmare when J.J. gets involved, because I know J.J.'s right about everything. <laughs> so if J.J. was yelling, you you say he's right about everything, Bone. Well, what was the case? I need to know what our case yeah, was yesterday. There. At one point, Jansen was involved with the referee, and Olsen was all over the referees on the 49ers-Browns game. So the guys that we always talk about with the referee knowledge, they were really showing themselves yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, JJ, I know, does listen, as you know, and he might call in because sometimes he'll just hear and he'll just automatically call in. He claims his dad listens all day, but we, we have a sense that JJ might be listening as well. You think he doesn't think it's cool to admit he's listening to his boys Mac and no one, all the time? No, no one does. No one, <laughs> no one wants to admit Remember, that. we had heard from a close source that uh, Luke Keekley likes us, but didn't want to tell us that. He didn't want us to know that. <laughs> so not what, only are people embarrassed to uh, have it known they listen, but they don't want us to know they listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost offended. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Um, Zoke, let's wrap this up. All right, what's going on? With a thank you from you. All right. Zoke and I were clearly the two oldest people at Bones uh, 40th birthday gathering on Friday night. And Zoke said, man, I'm leaving. I got to get home. And that opened it up for me where I did not. I wasn't the only one leaving extremely early to well, go thought, home to I my wife. Bad. All right? I felt bad, but it's like, you know, I had just <laughs> oh. driven back from Greenville from the Thursday night game. I was leaving for Miami on Saturday, so I had to, to get, get a little, home, a little time. home time in there for sure. All right, well, I don't uh, have but, any of those excuses. <laughs> we, did, we did stay for the cake cutting part of it, so yeah. I think that oh, was a, a key moment. What a cake with all the Bones teams that was, on it, represented on the cake. fit them all on one cake. That, that was, was like a $500 cake from the looks of it. I think it had a lot lot of activity on that cake. amazing, I was talking to somebody without really knowing what time. I said, yeah, Max got to head on out. It's getting kind of late. I went to my phone 743 i went oh yeah it's only uh okay what was the over under i'm glad you guys did <laughs> friday night's our tv night man i didn't want to give that up but i'm, I'm sorry but I'm it's glad, a great gala i'm glad you guys didn't see me leaving the event there how but late did it go to? I had, I had one too many beers in about an hour and a half period. They're delicious beer by the way yeah, i bought you one and, yeah. and I, I played some cornhole and i didn't eat a whole lot and i got a little bit uh I got a little bit wobbly, and I was be I was being walked out of the uh, the establishment. So that was real. Thirty. I saw your tweet about it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Was, was that what time was that? Seven fifty six. What time? Nine thirty or so. About nine thirty or so. I'm thinking like so twenty not, minutes after we left. Like at it, one point, it got I told somebody, I'm, "I'm shutting this place down." They're like, "No, we're open until like two in the morning." <laughs> you could leave, go home, take a nap, come back, yeah, and then shut yeah. down the I place. Was, at one point, I was being uh, handed water and being fanned down because I was starting to get a little bit. Uh, Holy crap! I was, I was seeing a couple of. Uh, Seeing a couple of uh, fitties out there. Well, there. good for you. You're okay. turning 40. Multiple yeah. fitties. Good for you. <laughs> no, you don't. I'm not seeing one over there. <laughs> much, much yeah, sorry, but thank you guys for, even if it was only for a little while, I appreciate <laughs> you. And Zoki, great gift you gave me there. Well, we talked about, I think, well, last segment or two about the five guys. 
And so it's like, I go, I got it. I said, five guy burger gift certificate. There so, you go. Do you know when I use that? On the way home. <laughs> Friday afternoon. It's already gone. Good. Oh, oh, there yeah. you go. There Absolutely. you go. Can I get, uh, can you uh, purchase five guys for the Panthers? Five new offensive linemen. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, oh. hey. Matt turns 50 in about 10 days or so. That's right. That's right. So that party will end at like three in the afternoon. Like a, <laughs> would that be like a kid's party with like an inflatable in the backyard and I'm over so at three o'clock? That party won't exist, actually. That's how old I am. All right, Zoki, you and a man, right, bro. guys. Thank Carry you. We on. appreciate Good it. Good luck. All right, there you go. Jim Zoki, um, a party animal and a great play-by-play voice. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. Wesson Walker back at it on a Monday. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We'll switch gears talking about the Carolina Panthers. And just to update you again, Frank Reich announced shortly that he is going to be officially handing over play-calling duties to his offensive coordinator, Thomas Brown. So Thomas Brown will have that responsibility going into the bye week. We know about it very early, so you have as much time as possible before you get to week seven against the, or week eight, I should say, seventh game for Carolina against the Houston Texans. Hopefully we can see some life out of this offense and we see it for an extended period of time. But let's switch gears and talk about the Charlotte Hornets with who better than somebody who plays for that team. about (laughs) PJ Washington joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline? Fresh off a win in their third preseason game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, 117 to 115. PJ, we appreciate the time, man. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Hey, we're doing well. We're doing PJ. good, man. Yeah, appreciate the time. You scored 31 points in this last outing against OKC. It's the most points in a preseason game since legendary Gerald Wallace did it, scoring 34 in 2007. PJ, I got to ask you, it happened to OKC following your 43-point performance against them last year. <laughs> he had 25 in December against the Thunder. Mm-hmm. What did they do to you, man? Like, did, why, why do you destroy them? What did they do to you that makes you want to destroy them every single time you see them on the court? You know what? Everybody's been asking me that, and I have no idea. For me, I just try to come out and just be aggressive. Um, I don't know why, but I guess I really like playing against them. I would say so. The production would say that as well. Well, and I am interested, too, because we all know last year was so different, man. I mean, you guys are battling injuries left and right. LaMelo was in there for 36 games. Terry Rozier mm-hmm. played as many games as everybody not named you, really, PJ, and he played 63. Like, you're still talking about missing 20. The injuries were just yeah. so much. And now, with all those guys coming back, hopefully, we're knocking on wood, and I don't know if you can hear it, just to keep the bad luck at bay, mm-hmm. but hopefully everybody's <laughs> going to be more healthy. Do you see your self-playing in a little bit of a different role this year if everybody is healthy and everything goes the way it's supposed to? Uh, for me, I just try to come out and just be aggressive each and every night. Um, no matter who's on court, I just got to be, be myself and that's being aggressive, being a bully in the paint, uh, making shots and then playing defense uh, and being a leader out there as well and being able to talk to guys through it and uh, just, just being there and just be vocal for everybody on the court. 
PJ West Bryant here, and last year you were one of only four players to average at least two made threes and one block per game. And so in a league where a lot of people uh, talk about the defense and how it's non-existent, but we know you are one of, if not the Hornets' best defensive players. How much pride uh, do you take in that side of the ball? And where do you feel like this team is, being how they ended the season defensively getting better and where you guys are at now? For me, I mean, it's uh, it's just pride. I mean, I can't let my guy score, and I can't let nobody else's guy score. So for me, it's, it's just I take it personal on that end, and I feel like uh, everybody else is taking it personal as well. I mean, last year at the end of the year, we were really good on defense, so we just got to bring that energy into into this season. Now. And I feel like everybody's picking up where we left off, uh, doing great in practice, and I just can't wait to uh, show you guys what we look like in regular season. Yeah, and so a couple of seasons ago, when you guys were coming off that second uh, play-in playoff performance against Atlanta and then all the injuries happen and you had the off the court issues happening. Do you feel like that this is a season of redemption for you guys that you're excited that basically the band is back together? Yeah, it's a fresh start. Everybody's here. Everybody's back together and everybody's ready to play. I mean, we've been working all summer. Um, there's been a lot of noise, a lot of distractions, but at the end of the day, um, we have a job here to, to do and uh, everybody's prepared for that and everybody's uh, welcoming that. So, we just can't uh, be more excited to uh, play the 25th. That's the voice of P.J. Washington on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You know, P.J., the vibes were fantastic at Hornets Media Day. We had Terry Rozier say that this was the most excited he's ever been putting on a Hornets jersey. We heard Steve Clifford praising not only the veterans, but how very a ton of players on the roster had very good off seasons. What is practice like now, whether it just be the overall mood in practice? What's it like now compared to what it was a year ago heading into that season? Um, this year, I mean, it's a lot more competitive, I would say. Um, guys are ready. Guys are in shape. Guys are uh, serious about uh, our work. And, I mean, everybody's locking in. Everybody's listening when Coach talks. Nobody's laughing on the sideline. Nobody's uh, not engaged. So, I would say everybody's engaged and from day one, and everybody's ready to go. PJ, everybody we've talked to about Brandon Miller has been super excited about this young man. We've already seen some big-time highlights from him in the preseason. What's been your assessment of the young guy? I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't feel like y'all have seen it enough yet. I mean, he has a lot in this game that he hasn't shown. I'm just here to uh, try to help him get it out. So I've been trying to uh, be on him and just tell him the ins and outs of the NBA and just trying to be uh, a good vet to him and uh, just tell him everything he needs to know. And I just can't wait to the first game and he play, he does his thing and does, the game, does his thing the rest of the uh, 81 games as well. Well, I mean, PJ, it sounds so different when y'all talk about Brandon, man. Like, this is not to call out any of the other rookies that you guys have talked about in the past, right? I know y'all got love for everybody in that locker room. But the way Mm -hmm. you and Terry, everybody talks about Brandon Miller, it seems like y'all are much more excited about him, not only for his future, but even the way that he's going to contribute this season as soon as we get to year one. I mean, is he? how advanced is he compared to other rookies that you've seen come into the league with what it is with Brandon? Brandon Miller coming into his first year in the NBA? I think he's very advanced. Uh, he has an NBA game already, um, an NBA pace. I mean, everything he does is at the NBA level. So I'm just excited for him to come in and play and uh, should do his thing. I mean, like I said, he, he can play with the best of them, and I'm just I'm ready for you guys to see it. PJ, when you guys, and we know that basketball is much different than football, divisions don't really matter like that. But when you look at this division, a lot of teams in similar spaces, uh, young teams, we know Miami has gone to the finals. But is that where you guys start? And where do you see you guys fitting in the division and in the Eastern Conference as a whole? Um, honestly, I, to be honest with you, I don't ever really look at the division. 
for me personally, but I mean, conference wise, um, our goal is to be in, in the top six, top uh, eight for sure, a lot. So um, that's just us being attention to detail every single night and uh, focusing on us each and every game. PJ, you talked about being a leader. I wanted to ask this before we get you out of here. With you being a leader, how do you handle the updates on the Miles Bridges situation in the locker room as we've come to get some of these updates in the last week? Um, for me, I mean, I can't really uh, speak too much about it because I'm not really aware of, any, of everything. So for me, I try to stay away and uh, just try to control what we can control, and that's basketball at the end of the day. Um, Miles is uh, obviously going through a lot, and uh, we don't really know what's going to what's going to happen, but at the end of the day, we just want him back uh, here with us. That's P.J. Washington destroying the Oklahoma City Thunder once again. If you just want to wear like some OKC goggles, we were talking about this earlier, <laughs> where everybody, yeah, did you just score 40, 30 every Everybody's single time? Everybody's been telling me that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. Even Sacramento, when you had 40 a couple of years ago, whatever, man. That, that's totally fine with us if you want to continue to put up 40 burgers on teams. P.J. Washington sure. joining us on Weston Walker. Always great fun to talk to him. We appreciate the time, man. Good luck this last preseason game and beyond as the regular season starts October 25th. Good luck, P.J. Thank you, and thank you guys for having me. Keep listening to WFNZ on 92.7 FM and WFNZ.com on the WFNZ app and by asking your smart device to play Sports Radio WFNZ. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. But now it is time to go to the campus. Coda. All right, college football this weekend. Not a sterling slate of games, but still a lot of questions starting to get answered. And so we're going to start it out like we do every Monday, man. Let's get this overarching view of the weekend kicked off. Who's your biggest local winner? It could be a player or it can be a team. Yo, I'm, it's North Carolina for me. Now, they played a little bit too much at the end of this game. They still won by 10. It was like, uh, can we feel good? It was hilarious to hear Sean McDonough continue to just say, hey, they're about to go 6-0. and It was very matter of fact when there were still plausible scenarios to see how Miami could come back, especially after what happened with Miami the previous week. But no, it's North Carolina. And Wes, it's not even the fact that they got the victory and the way that they were able to put up 41 points. It's how they did it where Drake May, certainly early on, was not connecting. The completion percentage has been there for Drake May all season long. Over 70% of his passes completed, and he's throwing the ball downfield. It's been astonishing. He was throwing the ball downfield in this game, but he wasn't connecting at a high rate at the beginning, and then he started to. The real big win, even if you want to go to head coaching figure, player, whatever, it's North Carolina, and then it's Mac Brown, and then it's Tez Walker. That guy is a difference maker. He told you that this is somebody that can come in, and now that he has an understanding of the offensive playbook, get behind the defense that he did. He's a great athlete. We got to see him really contribute. I thought North Carolina was the biggest winner because they beat a top 25 ranked team. They should have been undefeated if Mario Cristobal just kneels the kneels it in the previous loss to Georgia Tech. And it seems like they have a real difference maker. Drake May in the second half specifically was very good. I thought they were the biggest local winner. All right. Well, since you picked three different things, I'm going to go in a different direction because you took one of mine when you said Tez Walker. I was going to say Tez Walker was the biggest one. Damn. No, it's all good. <laughs> so I'll go in a different direction, though. I think the Duke Blue Devils coming out. Granted, Henry Beelan did not play splendid, but the weather got crazy. The rain started pouring, but they came out against a feisty NC State team that had a lot of uh, 
goodwill coming for them yeah. during the game. Yeah, after scoring 40-plus versus Marshall, I know State fans thought that they had found their offensive savior. They had found the offense that they had been looking for that they thought they would get under Robert and I and Brennan Armstrong. Henry Beelan hits a big pass early to Jalen Calhoun, who finally looked like the Jalen Calhoun that I thought that we would see this season with that 69-yard touchdown. Also ran a punt back. They got called back as well. But Duke came out, manhandled NC State after they made the early turnover. Ran for 194 yards as a team. Jordan Waters had 123 yards rushing. Uh, MJ Morris held, got an interception off of him. And this Duke defense, they were just dominant. Uh, that's all you can say. They held State to 415 on third downs. And so also, too, when you go look at this Blue Devils defense, man, they just get after you. Three sacks, eight tackles for loss. As I said, the aforementioned interception. So they just really came out and had a really dominant performance against the NC State team that a lot of people thought that this game could go either way with no Riley Leonard. I should have gone full B-Rabbit and just taken away you Duke from you as should've well. Did. You should have Duke and this team. And should have. <laughs> I should have I left you with absolutely nothing where you had to choose a Wake Forest player for like the best right. thing. I should have just left you with absolutely nothing. Yeah. But you are right. Duke is the other one. Man, just a nice performance from a team without a really good starting quarterback. Yes. That defense, you talk about looking ahead at the schedule. North Carolina, they've got an easier month this upcoming month. The rest of the three games that they have and then after that, that's when the schedule starts to get a little tougher. But, man, that Duke-North Carolina game, whoo, buddy, that is going to be a lot of fun with North Carolina not scoring anything less than 30. Yeah. And Duke's defense, which is 110,000% legit. I can't wait for that matchup at the end of the season. All right, biggest local loser. I'll start it out. My Demon Deeks, man. Listen, you go up to Blacksburg, 262 yards of offense, 19 rushing yards. And Coach Clawson, after the game, from those uh, quotes that he had, he just sounds like a man at a loss for words with this program as far as where they're headed. Mitch Griffiths, 77 yards passing, an interception, turnovers. Kern comes in there. Michael Kern comes in, 166 yards, but the offense just not moving. Taylor Moran has a big drop in the back of the end zone that maybe could have changed the face of that game. They give up 462 total yards in that game. And uh, the Deeks, man, just struggling right now. I don't see where the wins are going to come from looking at the rest of this schedule. If this offense is going to continue to play that way, I mean, I would be remiss not to bring up the fact that the Wake Forest offensive line surrendered. Seven sacks and 14 tackles for losses. I would be crying in my locker if I had, if we had that kind of game because I would know what practice is about to look like after you get beat down like that. They can't block anybody. Just not dynamic at the quarterback position. Wake's going to have to hit the portal in a major way. I wish I'd hit the lottery because I would be out there throwing bags around like the Joker in the first <laughs> Batman, Jack Nicholson on the float, just throwing money around the city, telling the high school recruits to line up to come to win. Look, there are two teams to choose from locally. <laughs> if you just want to go within the conference, right? I don't know how local Louisville is, but they're in the ACC. We yes. could be going with Louisville, and I think that would make some sense. But I still think it's even Wake Forest because, yeah, I understand, right? Louisville, they lose to Pittsburgh. That's a bad loss. Pittsburgh has been absolutely awful this entire season. You're transitioning to a different quarterback, so they even have some new to deal with in Pittsburgh. And that offense only puts up 21 points against the Panthers. The rushing attack... 
They did not have nearly the type of day that they have had before with a guy like Jawar Jordan. Jake Plummer threw for Jack Plummer, excuse me. Sorry, Jake the Snake. <laughs> but Jack Plummer threw for 350, but those couple of interceptions, that's going to hurt you. That's a bad loss. All that to say, they're still 6-1 and one and ranked. Okay? Wake Forest is winless in the conference. Their only win that they have against a Power 5 opponent is Vanderbilt, and that was the second game against in, in the season. Wake Forest has Pittsburgh on the other side. Now, maybe the Panthers have this let down after an emotional win, which I would say it's an emotional win to beat a top 25 team the way that they are playing. But, man, Wake Forest, Mitch Griffiths, I don't know how much you can believe in them. And I did. I, I just took it for granted. Both do. This is what Wake Forest does. They have a really good quarterback, and then they move on, and then they bring in another really good quarterback. I don't know about first-round pick, but somebody that is going to be very respectable. But, man, I was shocked to go to our lovely website in PFF.com, <laughs> go to the college football rankings, and Wes C. before this game, he was in the 250s? He's been that bad. Yeah. College, and that's, you play even somewhat average. You're going to get a decent rank. And he has not been playing very not, well. So not, I, that's that's the biggest disappointment for me in really the first six games or so of ACC teams. It's watching Wake Forest struggle as much as they have. All right, really quick. I know we're up against it. I give you my biggest national winner and loser, my biggest national winner. Uh, I'm going to go individual and a team, the Washington Huskies. Michael Penix comes out there. I think now he is the Heisman front runner with the gain that he had, 302 yards, four touchdowns through the go-ahead touchdown in that football game with 130 left before Oregon missed the kick. Dan Lanning has taken a lot of flack for uh, some of the coaching decisions made late in that game. And my biggest loser, as I said in the rundown, I would never, ever, 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 ever word to Chris Tucker uh -oh. say that anybody will win the Heisman Trophy back-to-back -back seasons ever again. Caleb Williams has made me lose all hope in a back-to-back -back Heisman winner after his three-interception performance. In South Bend. No, it was a bad one. No doubt about it. <laughs> I can't go anywhere. I mean, with the scene... Washington, it was Michael Penix, like, come on. That, that's the biggest winner. Anything else would just be fabricated, so I can't do that to you. I do have one other contender for Biggest Loser. Okay. What about Colorado? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean... Yeah. Starting to wear off a little bit. <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's too fair. Like I still feel a little dirty mentioning their name as biggest loser because we had a lot of hope for them after their first game. But remember coming into this season, there were lots of three win predictions, but man, you can't drop that kind of deficit. You can't. And then allow no. what was it like two hundred and what, what, almost three hundred yards receiving to the to Stanford's number one receiver late on Friday night. I actually was checking my updates and watching that game even going into like two two a.m. on the East Coast because of Colorado allowing Stanford to come back in it. Just the way that they lost, yeah, man. Colorado, big old loser this weekend. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I recorded the rest of that game because I fell asleep on it. I woke up, was shocked that they lost the game. Watched the rest of it from about mid fourth quarter. How they allowed that kid, I forget what his name was, Ooh. from Stanford that had uh, 13 catches for 290 yards, to continually, the second half to continually catch slants <laughs> over and over and over and over again. I could keep saying over into the next break, but I won't do that. <laughs> you could hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice.
earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. Let's bring in Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer, a man who always thinks there's a chance. Uh, Observer Panthers beat writer crushing it on the beat. He's back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Mike Kay, you know, I thought you were sharing some really uh, interesting insights during the game yesterday, both about the, the quarterback position and the game with the Dolphins. But let's start with the breaking news that Frank Reich has relinquished play calling to Thomas Brown. What does this mean to you and what, if anything, does it change? Well, it means that the operational issues that we've seen over the last six weeks need to change, and this is a step in the right direction for that. I think Thomas Brown, based on my reporting uh, during the coaching search, is viewed as an up-and-comer. He's a really good offensive mind. Um, He's a guy who, at 37, is getting the opportunity to kind of be the mentor to Bryce Young and the play caller now for Bryce Young and to see if he can kind of live up to the first overall billing. And I think for Frank Reich, this is an opportunity to take a step back and look at the overarching picture, which to me seems like the biggest issue. I know a lot of people have like railroaded his his play calling and decision making. I think the overarching issue is much, much bigger when you look at the defense, when you look at pre snap penalties, when you look at just overall play calling flow. This is something that Frank Wright can now take a step back and, and really kind of ingratiate himself in the overall product. And I think that's important. So I think a lot of fans look at this and hope, okay, maybe Thomas Brown will call better plays for Bryce Young, for the offense to score points. But I, I think a different way of looking at it, and I'd love your thoughts, and I actually saw Pat McAfee talk about this a bit earlier, was, okay, they're already switching play callers on Bryce Young six games into his career. Does this expedite the stress on him and you know whether or not they view him as the answer if you know next year they're making another change and getting into a third play caller? And like, Could this be viewed as a negative, I guess, for Bryce Young? Would you view this as a negative in any way? I actually don't. I think this is them doubling double down their belief that he is not the problem and that the play calling is the issue. This is a way of saying, hey, you know what? The first thing we did didn't work. Let's try another thing because clearly this kid has potential. And if you watch the film, he's showing a lot of progress week to week. And that's not just blowing smoke. I mean, if you watch that first half, I mean, he was sensational. He was accurate. He saw the field very well. He went through his progressions. He got rid of the ball quickly. Um, I mean, he, I give him a B for in my, my report card, which you can read on thecharlotteobserver.com. Um, and I, I think, you know, he's got this processing ability. I just think he needs the right play caller for him. And I think Thomas Brown's a really sharp guy who's a great communicator. And if, if all goes well, Frank Reich, Thomas Brown, Bryce Young can all be here for a really long time. This is not uh, dissimilar to what happened with Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia his first year where he handed over play calling in week seven and they won on a run and seen how good that team has been. Is it Was it glaring to you as it has been to a lot of fans that um, you know the, the difference in the Miami Dolphins offense yesterday versus Carolina? The, everything from pre-snap motion to misdirection to I mean, just overall play design. What do you think? Just contrast those two for me and what you see because Mike, I know you, you watch a lot of film. Well, Mike McDaniel comes from the Kyle Shanahan tree, and obviously that guy is one of the more clever play callers in the league. I think I wrote at some point yesterday that uh, Mike McDaniel could probably create you the greatest water park ever created, or at least maps of it in 15 minutes if you give him a pen and a sheet of computer paper. Like, these guys are really sharp thinkers. They've been in the system forever. Mike's system has been passed down for two decades. It's now the popular thing, and everybody bits and pieces from it and makes them their own. It's kind of like how a lot of people 
gravitated towards the Pete Carroll cover three defense and then try to make it their own with Gus Bradley and Dan Quinn and all those guys. So I think what's interesting here is you've got a, a proven play calling style that's being utilized in a different way. I mean, even Kyle Shanahan uh, was amazed at some of the stuff Mike McDaniel had done early on in the season. Plus, that offense is extremely fast. It's unparalleled in the league, this type of speed that's on that offense. And I think they're really getting the most out of Tua Togobaloa. Mike K, Charlotte Observer, he's with us here on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. When you watch this offensive line right now, what are you seeing? Because I, I do think that you know there are some games where what it looks like on the first watch doesn't necessarily you know bear out in the stats or the grading and things like that. But um, you know we all know there have been issues on the offensive line. But when you watch this group, what stands out to you? Well, I think interior wise, it's been kind of a, a rough go. I mean, obviously. They've had, I think, a different offensive line group in almost every single game this this year. That's never going to be good. You look at last year, outside of the center swap, they were pretty stationary. And I think, look, Chandler Zavala had a pretty good game in week uh, one at right guard, and they moved him to his natural left guard spot, and things fell apart. I think Nicky Guanu and Taylor Moden have had their moments uh, in pass protection where it's been rough. But I think that also has to do with the guy next to you. And I, I think there have been a lot of moving parts there. Kate Mays, Calvin, Brockmorton, Zavala, like a lot is changing there. And I think they're missing the best player on their offense from last year in Austin Corbett. I don't think there's a debate there. I think he is the most talented player they had on offense last year. He's the guy that stirred the drink last season when they were running down people's throats. And I think his return after the bye is going to be huge. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Defensively, you know, I'm inclined to cut them some slack, Mike, especially in the secondary. I'm not saying that, you know, they would have beaten Miami yesterday if the safeties and J.C. Horn had been out, had been out there. But a lot of missed tackles. Um, they, you know, they pulled a guy off the street to start yesterday in place of a, a fifth-round draft pick out of Florida State. I mean, how much slack do we give Ivero and what he's going on, what's going on right now, and how bad is this that side of the ball? Because it's tough to watch. So I think from a pass, defense standpoint, I think you've got to give kudos to Evero. His shell scheme is working outside of this past game where there were some breakdowns. I mean, clearly uh, the Dante Jackson uh, touchdown against Tyree Hill was never going to be probably a win for him. Um, it seemed like it was a coverage bust. Uh, but I think, like, for the most part, they've held up well against the pass. The run is horrible. And part of it is them playing the type of defense that they're playing. Another part of it is this is maybe the worst tackling team I've ever covered. Uh, they are just not able to bring guys down. And on first and second down, teams are picking up massive explosive plays on the ground. I wrote about it last week. Uh, the Dolphins kind of followed suit. They really need to fix this run game because they have a very good third down defense. Like, they came into the game with the second best third down defense in the league. The problem is, is when you're not facing third down as an offense, the, th the opponent's third down defense doesn't really matter. They're picking up 10 to 15 yards on these runs on first and second down. It's killing them because they can't get the ball back to their, their own offense, and points are piling up. They've allowed 75 rushing yards to a single ball carrier every single week. That's not good. They've also given up two touchdowns to a single ball carrier in four of their six games. That's not good. Uh, so that's something they really need to work on, and I think it starts up front. I don't think they have really m as many options outside of Derek Brown on the defensive line. 
Mike, uh, they're 0-6 and uh, not going anywhere anytime soon. Still a lot of injuries. I mean, no one's expecting playoffs, certainly at this point, or even NFC South contention. So organizationally, what do they do over the next handful of weeks, especially before the deadline? And uh, how much do you trust Scott Fitterer to continue leading the charge to get this organization right, not just you know this year, but moving forward? Sell, sell. They needed to acquire draft picks. They need a future. Uh, one of the big pushbacks to the whole rebuild notion is that they don't have a first-round pick next year. Well, they really don't have a lot of picks in general, and I think that they need to stock up on that. If a guy is on last year of his deal, look into seeing what you can get for him, the likes of Jeremy Chin. I mean, Dante Jackson's another guy we brought up that I think is going to definitely uh, be available. I think when you look at uh, guys like... Peter Grossmatos and, and uh, Brian Burns, those are guys who could potentially be available as well. I think if you are not Bryce Young and you are not Adam Thielen, who is essentially an accessory to Bryce Young because of being his only playmaker, I, I think you, know, you should be available. Um, and I think, look, this season's always been about Bryce Young. I think right now, heading into this season, I thought they'd be 2-4 and four at this point. I always thought that post by it was a really manageable schedule. I still think they can win uh, four or five games in this second half of the season. And a lot of teams are vulnerable on that list. I think this is, it, you've got to win with what you got because really bringing in somebody else and losing draft capital or anything like that would be detrimental to your future because right now this is all about the future. Mike, last thing. I uh, would love your thoughts, opinion on view of David Tepper's involvement in football operations and what Frank Reich had to say last week in that press conference about him being very engaged, um, you know, especially compared to, to a lot of owners. And I guess my question is, is David Tepper a, an asset or a detriment to their football operation? Well, I, I think, I think that's a fair question, but I also think it's not a, a abnormal. I mean, right. I covered the Eagles. Jeffrey Lurie has conversations with his head coach every week. Uh, the Jaguars made Tony Khan the head of analytics. He used to be involved in undrafted free agent signing. Like, it's not unusual for a guy to be involved. Now, we don't know everything that goes on, so it's hard to say whether he's a detriment or, or a benefit. He's an extremely successful guy outside of football. I understand why he wants to be involved. But also, we don't have the full picture, and so I think it's kind of, I don't mean to, to, to you know curb any question, but, like, we don't know. I do think he is heavily involved. I do think you saw that with the QB search. But then again, Jeffrey Lurie went to the Senior Bowl and scouted Carson Wentz. So it's not like completely unusual to do this. But we've seen the results, and so far they haven't been good. So if you want to put him in the negative category, I think that's fair. I just don't think we have the full picture. Mike, great stuff as always, brother. Congratulations again. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Tune into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.